0: Nikki Haley, one of the Republican candidates, is calling for mental competency tests for those politicians over the age of 75. What do you
1: think about that? Ridiculous. Would your husband ever take one of those? I mean, we haven't even discussed, we would never even discuss something like that.
0: The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds-on well, favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden?
2: That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump and and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have
1: a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children.
2: Welcome back to the ruthless variety program of new intro here today. Huh? That's pretty good. It outstanding outstanding is work, good. Duncan. Yeah, good work, Duncan. He's going to be missing from today's program. He's tending to uh, some family issues. Everything's good in his world, but he's not here today. But we do have a big program.
3: Yeah. Hey, like we said before, anytime someone announces they're running for president, the clock starts ticking. They've got 60 days to let us know when they're coming on the show.
2: Yeah, yeah. First hey. presidential candidate, Nikki Haley. She's, she's well within the confines of 60 days. We appreciate prioritizing the program like that that'll go extra when we start waiting these things towards the end Uh, but yeah we got Nikki Haley in house today you're gonna love that interview it's terrific we dive right in I think you'll get a, a good sense of her candidacy what she's running on and all of that as we hope to have other candidates do the same here. I think we got another one coming this week too. That's right. So when it rains it pours. Yeah.
4: It is what it is. And how about that intro? For crying out loud, Jill Biden said that we haven't even we would never even doctor, discuss Dr. Oh, excuse me. Please. It's Dr. <laughs> Dr. Jill Biden. Said that she and her husband would never even discuss something like a mental competency test for politicians over 75. Is that
2: because he's incapable of discussing it? We would never discuss something like that because you know he can't discuss. he <laughs> <Nobody laughs> knows he can't discuss. It's a sore subject. <laughs> I mean, it is. You know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. And they were like, you know, for whatever you think about Jill Biden, imagine. I put her sort of in a Giselle Fetterman Situation mm. where it's like, imagine you, you've had this guy who's been, you know, love him or hate him. Uh, Joe Biden's had a career, a serious career in politics. Um, he's now at a point, obviously, where there's like two or three horribly embarrassing things per week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I think to the naked eye, like obviously he cannot do what he either once did or what he did mm-hmm. yesterday. I it, mean, it's it's
3: horrific because like if this dude showed up for some kid's birthday or something. Everyone would be like, okay, I think it's time to take him home, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, he's had a long day. He doesn't know where he is. He's saying weird shit. Someone was, take him home, you know. All right, crazy Uncle Joe, time for your nap. We're taking you home. Right? He, and he, he would understand.
4: It is an interesting parallel with Giselle Fetterman, who famously left her husband <laughs> in the hospital. Jill Biden, when... when president is probably eating jello pudding pops in the oval office joe biden is in the box with roger goodell at basically every eagles game (laughs) isn't that something she's constantly
3: gallivanting (laughs) around at these big events she's like it is, dude, that is a really good comparison. Well, I mean, just. Because she's like, my husband, while he's falling down the stairs, I'm watching the Super Bowl. I got some good stuff coming. <laughs> <laughs> he's not making it up, Air Force One. She's not at the hospital. She's like, no, the Super Bowl is happening. Don't believe I'm here.
2: I'm just trying to imagine if my, like, you know, my parents—they're getting up there. It's sort of in the same category of of these guys, and like I can't imagine for my mom being like, you know what, you need to go, you need to go run, you need to be in public yeah. all yeah. day. At my dad, would be like, I can't do that. She's like, go. There's no <laughs> way she would do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no way it would be the opposite. Be like, I'm not sure you should do that.
3: And it's hilarious. She's like, I mean, we haven't even discussed. We would never discuss something like that. Like she's, She loves her Super Bowl tickets. She's not giving up his lifestyle. It's pretty
2: sweet. <laughs> no. No. And for the record, my father, a lot more uh, mental acumen yeah, than Joe Biden way more has put together. Been, been dealing with. Good Lord. Um. All right. So, guys, before we get into the, the news, this is a big week for the NFL. And I know typically this isn't like a staple that we talk about every week. But I think it's important because we do follow it. And a lot of us talk about it. Uh, this is the like the free agency week, the combine coming together. A lot of moves being made. We saw uh, yesterday Derek Carr to the Saints. That's a big move. A lot of talk about whether or not uh, Aaron Rodgers is on the move from Green Bay to maybe someplace like the Jets. I don't hear a lot about the Broncos.
3: Yeah, well, we have a terrible quarterback. I mean, like I think everyone knows. Are you just stuck? That guy's got a quarter billion dollars. He's he's not going to leave. I mean, he, he found the best job in the NFL where, like, he loses and loses and plays terrible and acts weird, and he still gets a quarter billion dollars. Like, it, it's great for him. That team is not going to be able to go anywhere as long as he's there. Just
2: yeah, locked
4: that's, in. That's just it. You think the coaching change could improve nothing, your prospects?
3: Nothing can change. I mean, like, that's the quarterback. Every time the ball is snapped, it's going to a guy who doesn't care about the game, who doesn't have any interest in winning or doing anything with it.
2: Well... I think it's
3: a quarter billion
2: I think your assessment's probably right on on that and I, and the Bengals this year will cut all of the offensive linemen that they signed yeah. last year and re-sign a whole bunch of new ones I yeah sure.
4: I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. you hear all kind of rumors and it's hard to know what to believe so until they make a move, I'm, I'm not going to get excited about anything uh-huh. but um, I don't is, think
3: they're going to the playoffs again. I think it's this over. is
4: what this is what Smug said last no,
3: year no it is like this is I think we saw exactly what's happening. Last year, and it's going to get a lot worse. They're only losing talent that they had to, like, <laughs> cobble together to barely make ridiculous. it in a weak division. And <laughs> he, now, so I mean, je- the wheels are falling off that shit. He's so jealous. <laughs> you got a has quarterback.
4: you got I, a terrible team. I
2: don't think he would actually put his team up against yours. I think his only point is to try to
3: drag your stuff. all. He, that's all he wants to yeah,
2: do. Yeah, but, I mean, fortunately for all of us, we have the Colts. With mm-hmm. Michael to look down oh. upon. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Always the Colts to make yourself feel better. <laughs> right? Uh, I don't know what they're going to do. The Colts have they a got lot a big of problem. Work to do.
2: They, got, they need a quarterback. They actually don't have one. So, like, they need to draft one that will start on day one. I can't wait to see how that works out. I won't do too much with Michael not here. But here's an interesting headline that I saw. So, they've started the NFLPA has started to do a survey of all the teams in the league and rank. What is the best team to play for, and the worst, mm-hmm. and, and and they rank them on a whole series of metrics, coaching staff, training staff, facilities, location, all this stuff. Uh, number one, your Minnesota Vikings. Oh, interesting. Wait, people like playing. Yeah, there. Yeah, Minnesota Vikings one, Miami <laughs> Dolphins two. I mean, mm. you,
3: these are towns you roll up you get a W. It's uh, a great time to be had, right? Like Las Vegas Raiders. Like, of course, they rate
2: highly. <laughs> show up, I win, and I leave. <laughs> we'll love that. What do you mean? It's a great place. <laughs> they, I mean, so the worst. Where, do, where did Kansas City rank? Uh, it, 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 towards the top. Really? Towards the top, that's but surprising. not, but not like you know, top five. Uh, the worst. These are the best. Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> L.A. Chargers, which are hilarious to me because, like, they're definitely the San Diego Chargers forever. Yeah. But they just reload. It's a fake team. They just play in somebody else's stadium. I mean, it's just like. It's crazy. It's crazy. And the Washington Commanders. <laughs> Dead last. I mean, who would have
3: guessed that, right? I, I mean, I like I said, I absolutely love how terrible the management is, <laughs> the ownership of that team, and, like, how angry. Because, like, You know, their fans are like some of the most passionate. They're 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 like obsessed. They're super weird, like Mets fans or something, right? Like who just love. They keep coming back
2: despite like twenty years of just no matter what product. And so
3: it just it's so funny to me. Like they always are like super hopeful, and they end up getting wrecked no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yeah, great job, Snyder. I'm a huge fan of the guy.
2: Dead last,
4: (laughs) dead last. (laughs) I'll be interested to see what they do with their quarterback situation. All kinds of rumors. There Lamar is. Jackson might be coming to there could Washington be. DC.
2: You never know. I mean it just this week is the week if you're a football fan, tune in because there's a lot of stuff happening.
4: There's a lot happening sports wise this week. We got conference tournaments and college basketball I know, starting. I'm so excited. I mean, the end of this week is gonna be fantastic. It will be fantastic. Players' championship.
2: Yeah. Good golf. There was great mm-hmm. golf last weekend too. hmm um, all right. Should we talk about uh, Poot Beatajig? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I love how this nickname has stuck now.
2: Yeah, poor Poot. <laughs> He's earned it. Poor Poot. Um, there was a great story in CNN about uh, him starting to rethink how he does his job in the wake of the Ohio train disaster. <laughs> well, it, before you start thinking this is super introspective, wait until you hear all of this. Uh, Pete Buttigieg admits that he got it wrong in the Ohio train derailment response. But while the criticism is fair, he says, the critics are mostly not. It's really rich to see some of these folks, the former president, these Fox hosts, who are literally lifelong card-carrying members of the East Coast elite, whose top economic policy priority has always been tax cuts for the wealthy, and who wouldn't know their way around a TJ Maxx if their life depended upon it, uh, to be presenting themselves as if they genuinely care about the forgotten middle of this country, Pete said. Here and, and like I I wanted to read that because it's fascinating. It is. Right? He's projecting so hard. It's such a massive projection. <laughs> but at the same time, it falls into the same all the things that we've known about Put mm-hmm. in that he's basically like a CIA built he is. democratic. <laughs> <He's> like 100 <100% laughs> percent CIA. Like if you were to try to come at that argument with a way to dig yourself out, that's probably the answer you should give if nobody knew anything about you going into that answer.
3: If you weren't a guy who showed up to, like, this disaster area in a hard hat in Ferragamos. Like, right. <laughs> you're talking about, they've never seen a TJ Maxx, dude, come on. You've never seen anyone in one of the, like, lower 90% tax brackets. It's so clear. He only hangs out with his, like, fellow... You know, uh, what was the consultant shop that he was at? McKinsey. McKinsey. Yeah. He's only hung out with his fellow like McKinsey folks who raise bread prices. Is the only <laughs> the bread prices. And he's like, I'm out here trying to help the poor when he hasn't even shown up for a month until he got shamed into it. And then shouted at the entire time he's there from people who are like, where the hell have you been? <laughs> and like his first thought is, is it's hilarious when he gets called out for how horrible the optics, his response, how terrible he is at doing his job. His first instinct is to be like, no, you're actually all elites. It's like, where did that come from? It's 100%
2: projection. <laughs> it's, it, but it goes on, and some of it, it is just sort of fascinating. So, Buttigieg came into the cabinet knowing this would be an odd transition. Jeez. He's the only winner of the Iowa caucuses and one-time Jimmy Kimmel guest host to take a lower level cabinet job there,
4: there's your sign that this piece is a managed production yeah. with his team there you go because they shoehorned in that this cabinet job was something that was a little bit beneath him yeah and so funny. he also he <laughs> the, he was also the iowa caucus winner you have to shoehorn that in and Jimmy Kimmel guest host. So he's, he must be fun. He's an interesting guy. He can host for get
2: Jimmy Kimmel. Political prowess and hilarity. Uh, he says he didn't realize there would be so much focus on the cabinet role that was once mostly seen as apolitical in past administrations. Huh? He didn't know there'd be like people
3: telling him to do his job. He's like, what the hell? I told you people are trying to take a six-month vacation, only show up in Chicago to see a documentary about me. Like, I had no idea I
2: actually had to show up to work. Who would have thought? But but it also just shows how little these Democrats actually pay attention to anything outside of themselves. Oh, right? 100%. I mean, his media predecessor, Lane Chow, there were hit pieces in every publication in the English-speaking world on a monthly basis that were seeking to basically tie her to McConnell to, you know, all kinds of allegations and, and just on the reg, right? So the idea that this was some kind of a sleepy spot was belied by the person who previously had the job,
3: right? And right. also, what does it say about him that he's like trying to look for a low-key job just yeah. biding his time? Yeah. Because he wants to run for president. He's like, I don't care about you stupid people and stupid transportation, and I know I told you people I like the choo-choo trains, but I actually hate you all. Just give me something to do until Biden either croaks or he throws in the towel so I can be president. Like, that's what this is saying is he's waiting for a coronation. His team is even like that uh, insular where they're like, everybody knows this isn't a real job, folks. Pete host Jimmy Kimmel. The man's a renaissance man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he should be president. Yeah. Like, these are deeply unserious people. There, there's a crisis where people don't know if they can go back to their homes. I,
4: right. His attitude and his approach to the job really shows. Yeah. It showed last year when ships from overseas couldn't get into the ports. It showed last winter when the FAA shut down and people were the It was the first full stop since
3: 9-11.
2: Yeah. yeah,
4: it's shown on train tracks all over the country in the last month or so.
2: This yeah. guy is awful. He it, it, Terrible, and it, but it just it goes to show, and you were getting at this a little bit, what's the point of this piece, right? The point of this piece is Pete does not want, he knows he's taking a bath, right? He knows he's gotten hit left, right, sideways. Um, but he wants to make sure the Democrats aren't moving on him, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got a couple of things going on here. They put a, a quote in from Andrew Bates at the White House, mm-hmm. basically supporting him. And he's got the quotes attacking Fox News and Trump in there that's basically like, you know, we'll bring that up for a little Democratic flavor. And then, you know, he'll acknowledge that his political response, political response, was not great.
4: Right. Right. <laughs> right. That's the problem here.
3: Yeah, that's the problem. It's not that there are people who are like in hotels with their kids because they don't know if it's safe to breathe the air where they live. <laughs> problem here is these Fox News hosts. The political problem here. <laughs> and that's like they thought it, they were like doing a good job
2: getting this viewpoint out there. It's I did, unreal. I did like this, though. The attention to the boots. That Biedig, uh wore when he visited a day later, he said, was also maddening. "Quote unquote." <laughs> His voice got tighter. "Quote Who cares what shoes I was wearing?" <laughs> 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 but I was there to draw attention to an agenda that will save
4: lives <laughs> on our railroads. I wonder if he got him at DJ Max. <laughs>
2: what do you want to bet they weren't?
3: <laughs> 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 His voice got tighter. Who cares what shoes I was wearing? That is the funniest
2: shit ever. <laughs> I, I mean, it's amazing, right? But then he's still like, listen to this paragraph. There were no cable news segments about Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack when the price of eggs spiked in January. EPA head Michael Reagan is one who's uh, the agency has actually taken the lead in East Palestine derailment, including signing off a uh, since question decision. Uh, t- uh, to do a controlled burn of the hazardous materials, but few in Washington could pick him out of a crowd. Oh my God! They're saying that everyone's mad at us because we're popular. Look, did you can believe yes, that's
3: the argument? That's it. I'm sorry, I'm popular. We've done this to Pete.
4: <laughs> yes, he's got no responsibility. Look who we've for done doing to Pete. Guys. He's like, if anyone actually
3: knew who these losers were, then we get it to Pete?
2: <laughs> but they call out the same. Like, only reason that this would be in the CNN is if the press operation for Pete was like, hey, you know, vil shit. This is a hundred percent that. right. That Reagan
3: is, guy, nobody knows who he is. I can't. Like, I, I think they just gave him like the login at cnn.com, and we're like, okay, guys, you just write something,
2: throw it up there. It is a fascinating story. Instead, they conclude, it's Buttigieg at the center of attention and the one being blamed. <laughs> it's like, it's, dude, you're doing the. It's your job.
3: There's a transportation disaster, and he's like, "What the fuck? Why are people?" This is my job?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I will tell. What's Vilsack doing? <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you guys something. Um, that was interesting. That a, an old reporter told me one time. He said that he said I get it. The media's bias and it's, it's left wing bias. But he was like, the real media bias is not necessarily left right. It's up down. So the media builds somebody up, and if the person takes center stage and they're enjoying the spotlight, something goes wrong, and buddy, it comes they're down. torn right down.
2: It comes down. Well, it's coming down for Pete. But this is this is the takeaway line, right? Um, <laughs> opening the first new terminal in Kansas City since Vice President Spiro Agnew was there for a ribbon cutting. (laughs) Like, first of all, what an Absolutely meaningless talk. <laughs> You'd have to fish that out of the dregs of the Department of Transportation in order to find that. Oh, since Spear Wagner, wow, this is historic. Okay, but
3: that's the thing is, like, he's he in must his be element. Smart. He'll show up to film festivals and ribbon cuttings and be like, "Okay, Pete has arrived. I'm doing it. Finally, I'm doing my job. I'm the transportation secretary. For God's sake, why should I deal with the transportation disaster? But the- <laughs> everyone keeps asking me these goddamn questions when I just want to cut some ribbons.
2: This next line <laughs> is what irritates him the most. Smug. Buttigieg arrived late courtesy of being stuck on his own delayed Southwest airline flight. A <laughs> oh,
3: poor bastard. I mean, that is a good start for punishing him <laughs> is, I mean, I think going forward, cause like didn't, didn't, he have like a, some issue with like, he was taking a bunch of PJs. Yeah. Was 20, 20 time?
2: some odd PJ flights. And, and like, it's like the beginning of any administration with these some of these guys. They're like, oh yeah, this is how I get all the toys. This is awesome, and, and, then, and they got
3: price for less, right? Isn't isn't that what was his name? The guy who in the Trump administration they got him to resign because he took some PJ flights. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. But Mayor Pete's
3: like flying to film festivals on the taxpayer dime, <laughs> and he's like, I, I need to show up to ribbon cuttings. Like this is this is what my job as transportation secretary is supposed to be. It's unbelievable.
2: Now he's sitting. In Southwest, Southwest.
3: like that should be. I'm telling you, that as long as he's in that office, Southwest, it's got to be Southwest everywhere.
2: Oh my God, the indignity!
3: Can you imagine? I mean, it is just a nightmare.
2: Nobody would ever
3: take. And and he'd be mad because he'd be like, everyone knows I'm the most popular person on this plane.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Who cares what shoes I'm wearing? Who cares what shoes I'm wearing? My Bruno Mollies. Oh, God. Anyway, that's our update on Poot Beat a Jidge. We'll, I'm sure, have more next episode. He just <laughs> keeps on giving good stuff. Uh, do you guys see this one also out of CNN? Boy, a lot of CNN stuff we got here from McDaniel. He must have been surfing the uh, the opposition. <laughs> it's always
3: a good place to find some, uh, some humor.
2: Yeah, but this one's real good. It says, do not, quote, push a slower friend down, unquote, If you encounter a bear, National Park Service warns. Dude, this is so good. So the the National Park Service actually had to put out, you know, they put out guidance every once in a while Mm -hmm. when you're out roaming around, like, you know, don't put your head in the volcano and things like that. Uh, If you come across a bear, never push a slower friend down the agency wrote on twitter on tuesday even if you feel the friendship has run its course <laughs> like, i can only assume that what they're trying to do is like the old adage right if you're if you just have to be faster than the other guy yep so is this like this is now what we're doing for we have animals attacking people across this country and these people are making jokes about the slower friend no i mean i think it's kind of like part of the
3: calculation cuz you're going to have like a fight or flight response right you know a is going to take over and like, if if I'm in a situation, if I'm like me and whoever is here, could not take the bear, then it's then it's a flight response. And I want to make sure you got to be faster. Than I'm the other gone. Guy. So like, you, have to you trip. know, you have to trip. You're tripping uh, to the next guy. That's
4: just, I, I think. Why, why
3: lose all of us? I'm not going to stick around with you.
2: I don't, I don't think. Don't, Someone I don't,
3: should make it out and tell the tale.
2: You don't have to be faster than the bear. You got to be faster than your friend. That's what it is.
4: I literally don't think you trip your friend. I think you turn around and you shoot the bear in the head. (laughs) Okay, these animals are dangerous. You should stay away from them, first of all. You should stay away from them, but they are bloodthirsty predators, and these things need to be shown their place. (laughs) You You shoot the bear. You turn it into a rug. You put the rug on your floor, and you enjoy it for
3: the rest of your life. See, that's the thing. If we're armed, yes, absolutely, I'm going for the rug. Like That's a clear move. You, you, I, I want the bear rug, but right? Is, so I want it in pristine condition. So you're not going for headshots there. This is
4: the thing: the media, the media, <laughs> limit the blood loss. The media, no, no. I'm you w- literally want,
3: deface the bear with
2: the fucking. 10 you gauge. want
4: the headshot so that anybody who comes in knows you're a marksman. <laughs> anybody who sees See that the hole, bear? right in the head, of right, exactly.
2: <laughs> Send a message to the other bears. But so,
4: <laughs> okay, go the, go the, ahead because well, I have another point.
2: No, I want I want you to keep making these points because I think this adds to it. Uh, they, they do have, I mean, this was obviously a joke, but they've got some guidance on the website. On the website, the National Park Service advises visitors who encounter a bear to keep their distance from the animal, and not to surprise the bear if it hasn't noticed you yet. If the bear, if the bear notices you, you should identify yourself as a human being by standing <laughs> still, talking calmly, and waving your arms. Uh, uh.
3: That it does, sounds like I, really bad advice. Doesn't I don't know feel what like to good do. Advice. Like, I don't know innately like what is the correct procedure for encountering a bear, but I don't think waving your arms is, is a great idea.
4: <laughs> Here's the thing. Go back to step one, keep your distance from the animal. Yeah. Like you do not go anywhere near these. Hundred percent. No. And here's, here's something that the media tends to do when they write about animals is they really tend to emphasize how the animals are the victim, like that the <laughs> yeah. animals are really the ones you need to be looking out for. They never, ever take the side of the people.
2: My favorite hobby horse of Smashes is the, is the partisanship shown towards yeah. animals. Well, 100%. here's the
4: thing. Here's the thing. Animals have PETA. We have the people for the ethical treatment of people. Animals have the humane society. We here at the Ruthless Variety Program have the human society. <laughs> yeah. We're looking out for people. So anybody, please, if you're listening to this, if an animal attacks you or if the media attacks you on behalf of the animal kingdom, come to us. We have your back.
3: You know, honestly, the, every national park should be open carry. Because if you think about it, it's ridiculous to be in a place that you could encounter bears or moose and not be allowed to bring whatever kind of hardware makes you comfortable you know yeah. like think about that if you're if you're camping if you've got a family you're going camping and and, and the park ser- service is like oh you know there's some bears here just wave your arms if you come across one this is insane like humanity has discovered weapons you know if we want to go camping one of these guys roll up on us we should be allowed to defend ourselves that's like you know we had heroes fight for this country for us to have that right <laughs> open carry in every one of these parks and and if you are fortunate enough to be in a place that you can be armed if you're among, you know, nature's fucking problems, <laughs> you got to shoot first. Mm-hmm. I'm not waving my arms. <laughs> I see a bear. I'm not waiting for him to see me. The, the shots start ringing out.
2: Well, we've been talking about it. It's not just bears. I mean, the moose are really having a problem. Yeah, right I was now. telling Holmes uh,
3: uh, before uh, I showed up to record, uh, Fox had this segment on. It was in Idaho of, of these dudes like on a snowmobile. And uh, he stops, and this moose tries, like, running up on him. Because remember last week we talked about that moose that did a jump kick? This moose goes for a jump kick. The guy dodges. And and the moose kicks the snowmobile, and there's, like, a front flip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like tries to get up and is like what happened? I just got wrecked. So this and guy ran off.
2: This guy needs we need he teach I mean, some lessons. I mean to that honestly, us, huh?
3: like in the heat of the moment he took that it was down a, a pretty great play. Like the way he just like juked this thing <laughs> midair when it was going for the jump kick. But the thing is like I had zero idea this is like a moose thing. Like they're going for heads. Like these guys just go for the jump kick given the opportunity. <laughs> like that's the weirdest thing. I would not have expected
2: it. <laughs> the moose jump kick is very rare. So, uh, that's the
3: thing. It's like I thought this is a one time occurrence, but now it's just like two in a row. must have gotten out that like, hey, you see somebody to- jump kicks kick jump kick them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like remember that what was it the knock uh, the, the knockdown game or something when all these bad kids were rolling around punching people in the back of the head. Yeah. The moose have, uh, are on the same game. They got now. their own. Thing. They're on
2: their own now thing. with jump kicks. Yeah. yeah. Moose jump kicks. You got to watch out for them. You I'm encounter serious. a moose, a jump I'm kicks serious. coming. You
3: see one, should open fire every time. Zero <laughs> yeah. tolerance. Yeah, every snowmobile
4: should have guns 100%. attached to the front Turret. and the back.
2: <laughs> and instead, instead of mounting their you know their heads with the big rack or whatever, you should just mount the leg. Yeah, the front hoof. <laughs> the front hoof. Just give put a hoof above your. <laughs> above your <fucking> head. <laughs> All right, so you want to hear about left-wing terrorist attacks?
4: Oh, man, I couldn't believe this. I saw the news over the weekend.
2: This one's incredible. I want to get into some color because I saw you tweeted some funny stuff about it, too. But uh, protesters hurled bricks and Molotov cocktails at cops and set vehicles on fire uh, at the site of a future police training facility in Atlanta. Officials said critics have dubbed Cop City. This is according to the New York Post. The 90 million dollar Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, dubbed Cop City, was taken under siege by a group of vandals using the cover of a peaceful protest in what Atlanta police called a coordinated attack. Uh, they changed into black clothing and entered the construction area and began to throw large rocks, bricks, Molotov cocktails, and fireworks at Wait, police. I, I
3: was told Antifa is like an idea, like it's a it's a it's a nursery rhyme. It doesn't actually exist.
2: Yeah, no, I thought so too. You know,
3: and, and they're they're anti-fascism. You right, know, it's so in their it's gotta, name. They got to be good. It's not like they could be just you know putting on all black and throwing <laughs> bombs
2: at police. Did,
4: did did you see the videos of this? Yeah, they so weren't all wearing the, black. Some of them were in camo. They looked like a small wow. militia.
2: Yeah, yeah. The only thing that was, <laughs> I mean, look, it, not to, not to denigrate what they did to go in. I mean, they were shooting fireworks at people. I mean, it looked like a pretty dangerous situation. And I, I mean, it was. Definitely. I mean,
3: throwing Molotovs—you're you're trying to kill people. Yeah, it was definitely right.
2: a terrorist attack. But like later on in the attack, there's this video of them inside and and throwing stuff. And you tweeted out uh, something about that they weren't exactly recruiting the top. Oh athletes. yeah, yeah.
4: If you if you just just watch their form <laughs> throwing these things, and you're like, well, look, if we were ever able to fight back. <laughs> We're going to take them down pretty quick.
2: The surest case of a left-wing militia is a couple of arms that look like that.
0: <laughs> Holy cats.
2: I mean, it was like Fauci throwing out the opening pitch. It
0: was, like it was so bad.
2: It was so bad. And there was one where the cut clip cuts off. We should tweet this out. This, I think it was a lady. I don't know. Look like. I'm not trying to be sexist here, but she picks up a rock and throws at what the... There's a bulldozer that's on fire in front of her. Oh my God. And she throws it from about five feet away and totally airmails the thing, right? <laughs> it's not even close, but then you can see another one of these little Antifa dudes running in the background, and the film cuts out right at the point where it looked like she led him absolutely perfectly, like the boulder was going to get this guy right in the dog. <laughs> you, you go back and look at it. I it, it mean... Again, I think if the cops were able to fight back here it would not have been a problem.
4: No. And think about think about the idea behind I mean
3: attacking. that's the that's the problem right there, is police are not allowed to fight back. Right. At this point, think about <clears throat> excuse me, think about the effect having a Molotov thrown on you would have. Yeah. You're gonna have second third degree burns. I mean, it's you're horrible. probably gonna be disfigured for life. Horrible. Right? Yeah. Just because you're doing your job trying to keep people safe. Right. Right. So this is this is a terrorist attack. These police should be allowed to defend themselves to protect that community and that means using their guns.
2: Well, and I that's don't That's insane. If I someone's throwing bombs at cops, they can start opening fire. I totally agree. I didn't I don't know what the rules of engagement here, but I you're right. It it seems Because I mean, that's the
3: thing. Is the rules of engagement? It's like Fallujah. Yeah. People are right. running up and throwing bombs.
2: But but step
4: back one one more uh pace here because what they're building is a safety training center. Yeah. Which w- this is what the left has been calling for 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 three or four years. More training for cops. Okay. Well, they're trying to say, "Fine, we'll build a training center so we can do more training for cops." Nope. Firebomb. No more yeah. cops. Turn out your militia.
2: Yeah, and we wouldn't need a ninety million dollar facility if there wasn't a, any crime, right? right. I mean, exactly. That's the issue
3: here. Exactly.
2: Um, the story gets even better though.
3: Is I saw this tweet out from Greg Price. Do you guys see this? No, it says one of the folks that got caught at this attack. Uh, oh yeah, is an attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, you got to be who uh, they have. They have a history of working with the FBI to identify domestic terrorists, i.e., anyone to the right of Bernie Sanders.
2: Not just domestic terrorists. What they do, and this has been a long time coming, but in recent years, the Southern Poverty Law Center has partnered with everything from social media companies to uh, journalism communities to. Law enforcement itself to again identify like militia, what they say is is domestic terrorists, but then they also have like this wide labeling of like what who's a racist and who's not a racist, right? And I haven't gone through all of it. I don't know, but all I know is if the arbiter of that is shows up at the uh, Atlanta Police Cop City and is firebombing the thing, you got to question the impartiality. These, these of that, are the people right? who
3: the FBI is like. Okay, so who are the bad guys? I mean. He's I sincerely
2: I hope that, that is, they've put that practice to rest. Because my lord, that's crazy. This is this guy actually works for them.
3: Yeah, he's an attorney
2: there. Oh. Like, well,
3: you see, I'm a specialist in the law. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, not so much. He got arrested along with 35 others uh, in uh, the 85 acre construction site in the outskirts of the city. Uh, the videos really are. If you haven't seen him, you should check them out. It's 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 wild. It's wild. But anyway, we got. It doesn't seem like those guys are going away, and they're not just in Portland.
3: Yeah, uh, th- this this next one is, is amazing. It says that Walmart says it's going to shut down both of its stores in Portland just months after its CEO warned theft is higher than what it has historically been. I mean, this is this, you see this across the country.
2: It, it it how many times can you see videos of people just walking in and taking whatever they want and yeah. walking out to, to know no. Police presence, no security presence. The people can't defend their stores at all. Before this thing starts happening all over the place, right?
3: And, and the best is like I see these discussions that journo's have on Twitter, which just blow my mind. When they're like, "I walked into, you know, the drugstore just to get some deodorant or a razor, and it's behind like locks and plastic and everything." Like, what do you think this kind of a, you know, how does this affect the mindset of a community? If you have to go through this, it's like, dude, I, I assure you, this corporation isn't like spending money to try to affect the mindset of a community. They <laughs> just don't want their shit stolen. Like, it's not that complicated.
2: I mean, pretty sure everything in Portland is going to be sold through plexiglass at some point,
3: <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, that's the thing is when you fought, when, when when the local lawmakers essentially legalized crime, where it's more, you will, you will face far more dire consequences if you're a security guard inside one of these drug stores inside of Walmart and you try to physically stop someone running out the door carrying armfuls of goods you're going to face more severe consequences. Well, yeah. nothing. because you well, have
2: nothing with Soros prosecutors there bingo. too, that's,
3: right? That's
4: exactly right. I saw one of these uh, Twitter accounts was posting videos of store clerks trying to stop some of these thieves. It was over the weekend, and I saw a couple of them in my feed. And there was this one with this hefty gal with pink hair. You know the you know the type, and she had a purse full of stuff, full of everything she could possibly fit <laughs> uh, in it from the store. Hefty gal and, uh,
0: is and the clerk Absolutely
4: <laughs> the clerk is just this other girl working there you know she looked like she might be in college or something and she's like stops her and like starts pulling stuff out of the bags. like you gotta pay for that you gotta pay for that and then the the pink headed hefty gal <laughs> is like tries to make a run for it oh, but she's hefty <laughs> and yeah, she, she gets stopped by the heroic clerk <laughs> and dumps out the purse and I'm not kidding you Every if if there was a stick of lipstick left in the store, <laughs> she
2: had them all. She had every single one of them. I mean, and, and, and that's the and, thing. it's probably not going to do the trick for her. Right? I,
3: I, know, <laughs> it, it, like I don't think so. The misguided again. This is another example of the left with this misguided belief that they're being more humane and kind, and they're like, oh wow, well you know. This poor guy is probably just trying to steal a loaf of bread to feed his family. Right. And it's like they're running out with a bag full of lipstick because right. what's happened is there's a massive market now in this country for stolen goods. Like yeah. It is get, this has become like retailers are starting to like put together groups to figure out, okay, how are we going to be able to track and figure out who these groups are that are buying these stolen goods, selling it across the country? This is not someone trying to steal dinner for their starving family at home. Right. This is, this is what happens when you legalize crime. The incentives have completely shifted. Where it's like, oh, well, I guess I should just steal. Why would I be a sucker and pay for anything? Right. It's lawlessness. Right.
4: It, it is lawlessness. And the other thing is, I mean, on the subject of getting, you know, stealing a loaf of bread, there are a lot of grocery stores that a homeless guy can go into and they will just give them a free meal. Like, yeah. I think Kroger's does that. I yeah. Harris Teeter does that. Like
2: You should probably not tell them that. The next thing you know, they're going to be just... But, Go I mean, I think it's telling store. that you
3: never see videos of, like, oh, no, someone bum-rushed the Kroger, rolled out with, like, right. rolled out armfuls with a of, of veggies and chicken. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though eggs are, like, worth their weight in gold. I'm, honestly, I'm surprised we're not seeing that. I really need these AirPods. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's the thing. It's well, like, and you know how much the hefty, like, uh, lipstick. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to. Uh, All right, so before we we, uh, swap that out, uh, we've got one more segment here, and it's one that I think all of our people truly love, and it's when we talk about Southwest Airlines. (laughs) (laughs) So according to the New York Post, a passenger aboard a rocky Southwest Airlines flight to North Carolina uh, Friday passed out due to turbulence while others were left vomiting as the plane shook like crazy. <laughs> the mayhem erupted when Flight Thirty Nine uh, 3094 from Maryland hit wild weather as it approached the Raleigh-Durham International Airport Friday night. It was quite a horrifying experience, uh, quote-unquote. We go to land Raleigh, and the plane starts shaking like crazy, said Nicholas Reed, who was traveling with his girlfriend. Uh, okay, so if this is going to happen to you, and look, you can't control the weather. Sometimes turbulence happens. Is there a worse place to have this happen than on Southwest? (laughs) They deserve it so much. Oh my
0: God!
3: It's such (laughs) an unbelievable take! Southwest. This is why we queue it up. You know. You
2: you, you don't need to do anything more than you've already done. You know what
3: you're getting into. You know what you're getting into. You get what you pay for. You know, like the Southwest promise, it's like UPS. If you put it in a box. We'll get it there sometime. It'll get there. That's that's like the Southwest deal with its passengers. It's like, okay, in most likelihood, we're going to get you there. All right? You don't ask any questions. If you get shaken, you get kicked. The guy, you know, kicks you out the back of a UPS truck. You'll get there. So, like, the plane is shaking. It's like, dude, you're on Southwest. Okay? (laughs) It's shocking how cheaply airfare is being made for you people, you monsters, to be packed together. Oh, outrageous. That's incredible. This is what you get, you know? It's so, like,
2: th- But the scene that was painted here is a familiar one uh, for your description. This is the same guy. Two people were vomiting pretty close to us. Three and that's recounted. probably
3: standard fare on, on Southwest. It's like a free-for-all. It's steerage. <laughs> Essentially, it's just cargo and animals,
2: right? <laughs> Another passenger had a panic attack and passed out. <laughs> <laughs> the plane was diverted to Myrtle Beach. I mean... Oy, oy, oy. I,
3: and that doesn't even make any sense to me. If you're going from Maryland to Raleigh, you're like, oh, well, I guess we got to stop at Myrtle Beach. We go to Myrtle the Beach. The pilot's making a call. I got to put up with this shit. I'm going to Myrtle Beach. I'm going to at least go to the beach for this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to play golf tomorrow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they loaded them all up on another airplane at 1 a.m. on Saturday morning. And the, the quote from this guy was, they didn't even offer us a meal voucher or anything.
3: See, there you go. That's the South Coast crowd. That's the Southwest crowd. Jeez. I paid seven dollars for a plane ticket. <laughs> I should at least get a free meal out of this. My kids are monsters, they're going ham. The kids are probably shaking the plane, jumping around, losing their minds. Like Southwest is essentially anything goes, right? It's a free for all. They don't I've been told they don't even like board by like number. It's not like, okay, you know, this this group is now boarding the plane. It's like you get there, the doors open and it's a race. I, I mean, if you're gonna if you know, that. it's like the animal kingdom rules. It's the animal kingdom rules. Like that's it. Well, particular,
2: pretty quick triggers on the throwing up, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: right? I mean, it
2: was like they it's left just
3: another Southwest flight.
2: They left Maryland, and they get to North Carolina. That's I don't know, maybe half an hour. So, like, what this whole thing is, I don't know. Maybe they're like dramatic folks. An hour long. They're dramatic experience. folks
3: out for a meal voucher.
2: Oh boy, that's a that's a quick trigger on all that. (laughs) All right, uh, let's get to our interview. We are really proud of this one. Uh, It's one in a series that we're going to be doing with all your presidential candidates. Let's get right to it. We are very excited about this interview. We've been thinking about it for a long time, and somebody, obviously, everyone is following. She's the former governor of South Carolina, former U.N. ambassador, and now president candidate for president of the United States, Nikki Haley. Welcome.
1: Great to be with you guys. Thanks so much.
2: Oh, man, this is so exciting. So this is like the first announced candidate interview that we're doing. We're going to try to do everybody.
1: Well, it's the only one that matters. <laughs> I mean, let's be clear. It's the only one that matters. <laughs>
2: Perfect. Well, thank you for the endorsement on that. But this is, look, this is exciting. You're off and running. And uh, I mean, you've been everywhere. I mean, it's just incredible how much ground you cover. I and
1: mean, look, I I didn't need to wait. I don't know what everybody else is waiting on. If you know you're going to do it, you jump in, yeah. you do it. You do whatever it takes to, to finish it. And that's what we're doing. I didn't care who else was getting in. I don't care all the other environmental things people are worried about. You know, I know that I can fix this country, and I'm a problem solver by nature. I'm a two-term governor that took a failed double-digit unemployment state and made it an economic powerhouse. I went to the UN and didn't deal with one country but 192 of them and took the kick-me sign off of our back. So now I see a country that's in disarray. It's time to fix it, and I'm going to do it.
2: I love it. I was going to ask for your thesis statement off the top, but I feel like we just got it. Yeah. There you go. That's <laughs> a pretty strong elevator speech right there. It's Pretty good. That's you've got it tuned up. That's terrific. But look, I mean, obviously you knew that you wanted to do this. You felt like it was the right time, given all the challenges that we're experiencing throughout the country. Um give us the, the elevator pitch on you, who you are, where you came from, how this moment in time fits you perfectly.
1: You know, I was born and raised in a small rural town in South Carolina. I'm the daughter of Indian immigrants. We were the only Indian family in that small southern town. They didn't know who we were, what we were, or why we were there. (laughs) And I remember when I would get teased on the playground, my mom would say, your job is not to show them how you're different. Your job is to show them how you're similar. Hmm. We need to see more of that now, right? And it's amazing that lesson on the playground played throughout my life, whether it was in the corporate world, as governor, as ambassadors, when you have a problem, if you first talk about the things you agree on, Mm -hmm. then you can get on with the solution. And so growing up that way, I also saw the pride that my parents had in being here. They came here over 50 years ago. They came to an America that was strong and confident and full of opportunities. And we take care of my parents. They live with us now. They're sad to Is see that right? what's you happened. Your
2: parents in your house?
1: Yes, we take care of them. They're wow. eighty-six and eighty-nine.
2: Oh, yes. that's terrific! Yes. That's so sweet. But are they know, like I Nikki. Why play- are you never home? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> they watch a lot of TV now to see me. So, so. Yeah, right, right. But you know, I mean, they. I want to prove to them that they made a good decision. Mm-hmm. Then you go and you look. I'm a wife of a combat veteran. He served in Afghanistan. I know the sacrifice that goes into protecting our freedoms. I'm the mom of a daughter. She's getting married. I see how hard it is for them to afford a home. Mm-hmm. My son is in college, and I see he's having to write papers he doesn't agree with to get an A. Yeah. That's None of that's okay. And I just saw that 50% of Americans don't think that their kids are gonna have a better life than they yeah. do. We shouldn't, that's, we can't live like that. That's mm-hmm. not okay. And so, look, it's time to get in there and fix it. There is no shortage of issues, there's is no shortage of problems, but America needs to stop com- complaining and whining about it and let's get to work and do something, mm-hmm. it's time.
2: Yeah, well, look, that's compelling is all get out. One of the things about your announcement that I thought was really striking, I thought, uh, terrific, is the way you frame things in terms of generational change, mm-hmm. right? There's an awful lot of our listeners who've, you know, I mean, we've been dealing with baby boomer rulers here since the Bill Clinton administration, right? It's it's With the exception of Barack Obama, I guess by a couple of years, we basically had one generation at the top of the leadership structure of the United States for a long time. That sort of appealed not only to, to us, I think a lot of our listeners, but I think it's sort of a core argument that not only is it explicit criticism of the current president of the United States, but also, you know, it's a little bit implicit on the former president I mean, of the United
1: look, States. I mean, look, look at D.C., right? Yeah. Yeah. You, there's one thing you see all across the board. I don't think you have to be 80 years old to be in D.C. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we need term limits. I'm not being disrespectful when I say we need mental competency tests for people over the age of 75. Fine, do it for people over the age of 50. But when you've got them making these decisions on national security and the debt and things that matter, we need to know that people are at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important that we have fresh faces and fresh voices. The issues that we have today are not the issues they had decades Ago. so you need new generational change that understands today's problems and also knows. Look, I—I I mean, I've—I've I've busted the status quo everywhere I've been. I—I I defeated a longest-serving legislator in South Carolina when I ran for the state house. Yeah, I ran I mean, against, against, against against four people, um, popular people in South Carolina for governor, and and busted that up when I went to the UN. You know, people said I didn't have the experience, and I got to work. What I think is really important is you've got to have somebody that's got the energy, the drive, and the ability to fix things. Mm -hmm. Not talk about it. Mm -hmm. There's enough of that in D.C. Let's go fix it. And we need to light a fire under everybody else in D.C. to do that, too. And I've never held elected office in D.C., but I think we need somebody that can come in there and say, look, I've been a governor. I know what it means to fix things. I've been an ambassador. I know what it means to get other countries to take notice. Mm -hmm. Why can't we do that in D.C.? The American people deserve better. Mm -hmm. They deserve better. And the younger generation, they're going to be the generation that fixes everything. But we've got to give them a country to believe in. Mm -hmm. We've got to give them a country to be proud of. And right now, this national self-loathing, it's killing us. Totally, Mm -hmm. We can't have that anymore.
2: Totally agree. People forget. I'm glad you brought up sort of your rise, your political rise, which I imagine at some level, there are some evenings that you sit back and you're like... I'm actually a candidate for President of the United States, right? Because, I mean...
1: I haven't had that moment yet. No? I really haven't had that moment, no.
2: Because I think, I mean, look, the country was first introduced to you as a governor. And you were this sort of spectacular success. that everybody was like, wow, look at South Carolina. Look what's happening here. Look at this young, extremely energetic and got things done and was kind of a new face to the party. And and the trajectory of that was, I mean, pretty steep, right because like you said you're just state legislator and all of a sudden now you're sort of a national star was there ever a moment that you're kind of like wow this is a lot
1: no because I think that when you go into service you see a problem and you fix it and that's where you get the benefit is it's lifting up everybody not mm-hmm. just a certain few you like a lot of people don't realize we had thousands of people on welfare in South Carolina when i came in yeah i went to them and i got with my businesses and i said i want you to train this person for x weeks i'll pay for it but after those, you decide whether you're gonna hire them. We moved 20,000 people from welfare to work. Wow! When we had our prison system, I went in there and studied the prison system to say why is this happening and what happens when they leave. I went in there and put family planning in there. We taught them how to do a house budget. We taught them how to do a resume and I got equipment from companies and put it behind the fence mm-hmm. and trained them. Now in South Carolina, when someone leaves the fence, they've got a job the next day. We have the lowest recidivism rate in the country. Wow! wow. The The focus is lifting up everybody Mm -hmm. and don't forget Republicans have lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president shouldn't we want better than that shouldn't we want to win the majority of Americans yeah why aren't we fighting for that because our solutions are the right ones but we're not communicating it properly let's get everybody invested in wanting to see a better America we can do that and I think together we will do that
3: I'll say this so I have family in South Carolina and half of them are democrats yet they always voted for you what part um columbia Oh, columbia. okay good yeah um one thing that do you they have mentioned Democrat family i do i do it's I tough at times don't especially don't, that the holidays. me um <laughs> but during your term uh terms due terms as governor it was a marked change in south carolina it went from extremely tough times challenging times and then now you see you know bmw builds a factory there i think boeing's got a, a large significant footprint in the state What would you say is your marquee uh, accomplishment during your time as governor?
1: I knew if you gave a person a job, you took care of a family. And Mm. we had a lot of families to take care of. And we did have double-digit unemployment rate. And I didn't want to go to other states and steal companies. I wanted to make things in America. And so... I, and I wanted South Carolinians to be confident again, so I started recruiting. I told every agency, if you're costing a person or a business time, you're costing them money, and that's no longer acceptable in South Carolina. When we recruited, and I took companies from overseas, we came, and on their site, I had one person on their site that dealt nothing with, but with county, state, any regulations and anything to keep those things moving so that they didn't feel it we sent people from our tech schools overseas to learn how they trained what they did and i had them teach my south carolinians and i had two rules with my companies i said number one when you come here i want you to use my south carolina small businesses to do your business and i want you to at least interview my South Carolinians. Of everybody they interviewed, 97% were hired. Wow! And when I left, we were building planes with Boeing, more BMWs than any place in the world. We brought in Mercedes-Benz, Volvo, five international tire companies. They were referring to us as the beast of the Southeast, which yeah. I still love. So. <laughs> it's a great day in South Carolina, It is right? a great day in South Carolina. <laughs> I love that. that. Is so true. I
2: love that signature
0: line that you came up with. <laughs> but is it better barbecue than North Carolina? Smug. Absolutely. Oh. So That's <laughs> controversial. That's
3: contra- <laughs> it's delicious.
0: The mustard is based is-, is it controversial.
1: Is it controversial, really?
3: No, You're the being politically
1: correct right now. You know no South Carolina barbecue. Till the day I die, right
3: day I die. Day I die vinegar based for me beats mustard based. Mustard based is great, it's terrific barbecue. Have you
1: tried ketchup based?
3: I have not. In, in South Carolina I've only tried the mustard based.
1: Yes, there is ketchup based.
3: I'll give that a shot.
1: <laughs> you have I'm not, looking forward to going to South Carolina. You have not lived until you try ketchup
0: based
3: I've far. triggered something here.
2: <laughs> that was well done. I'm yeah. looking forward to that you know because well we're going to be
3: throughout the presidential cycle we'll be going to various states so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to knock that off my list. Yeah, if you want to get Nikki
2: Haley to fight you just bring up the food and the barbecue. <laughs>
1: I, you got to let fight. me know where you're going and I got to tell you which barbecue place to go. I got to say the <laughs> my
0: my favorite thing I ever ate in South Carolina was from this convenience store around the corner on Folly Beach, Uh, they make this, um, it's not like pimento cheese dip, but it's called white lightning. Have you heard of this stuff? Mm-mm. It's the pimento like a, cheese. It's like excellent. white cheddar and jalapeno, and it's sort of like a pimento cheese. My wife still talks about that. <laughs> I tried to recreate it, and she was like, "This is disgusting."
1: No, just come back and visit. Just come back and visit.
2: <laughs> I love it. Well, one of the remarkable things about your career is obviously what you just talked about is a ton of domestic accomplishments, right? In state economic growth, all that. I think the results sort of speak for themselves. Then you go to the UN. And you have this whole international footprint, which, again, I think you made reference to it. Immediately after your appointment, everybody's saying, wow, Nikki Haley, what does she know know about foreign policy? She doesn't know any of these world leaders. And so you're stuck in the middle of this. I love
1: being underestimated. It's always fun. Yeah.
2: I mean, I got to imagine you take some pride in it, especially when you get these stodgy old guys telling you, like you know this is the way foreign policy works oh
1: it's why I'm scrappy it really is it's why I'm scrappy but you know I went into the UN I purposely didn't learn the do's and don'ts of the UN mm-hmm. I wanted to go in with fresh eyes what I did do is I made sure that I that those countries knew what America was for and what we were against I didn't care if they didn't like me but I wanted them to respect America mm-hmm. and that was a that was really the main part of what I did and I said you know If you don't, you know, if you're trying to stab us in the back, we're going to be taking names, but we're going to have the backs of our allies. And we did that. Mm -hmm. And we did. We took the kick me sign off of our back. And, you know, one of the things that I um, that really kind of I brought to light was after that move, that vote on moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. there were 126 countries that voted against us. And I went to my office and I said, I want to do a book. I want to list all 193 countries. I want the second column to be the percentage of times they vote with us and against us. And I want the third column to be how much foreign aid we give them. And I took that book and I gave it to President Trump. And he lost his mind. He's flipping pages, yelling out countries. And I said, look, I'm not saying you give foreign aid based on a percentage vote at the UN.
2: But, it's but I'm saying at some <laughs> point,
1: why don't we get smart? Why are you giving money to countries that hate America? Stop doing it. We gave 46 billion in foreign aid last year. Mm-hmm. You're giving it. Do you know you're giving money to China on the environment? You're giving money to Pakistan that harbored terrorists that tried to kill our soldiers. Incredible. Iraq, where they have Iranian, uh, you know, proxies that are causing terrorism. Communist Cuba. We said they were a state sponsor of terror, but you're giving them money. Mm-hmm. I mean, Zimbabwe, who's the most anti-American. American country you can't buy friends stop doing it yeah instead use that money help your allies if you have to it has to be a win-win situation but America's been on autopilot for so long that they've forgotten what common sense is think how weak we look in the eyes of the world Mm -hmm. when we are giving money to countries that hate us think about that
2: you know I mean look I saw your your op-ed in the New York Post and I think that was really well said you know, the, the complexities of foreign policy, which you now innately understand, that I think is lost on a lot of people is, I mean, look, I think f- if you don't deal with it at all, the knee jerk is why I send money to anybody at all, right? Oftentimes, what we do with foreign investment prevents a boots on the ground situation or prevents putting Americans or our allies in harm's way. But your point, which is, I think, a really good one, we, what are we getting out of this? Mm-hmm. What are we getting out of this? Are and these people actually helping? Know who your
1: friends are. Help right. your friends, right. but know who your enemies are and hold them to account.
2: Yeah. No. I look. It was very well said, and I, I, I that is a discussion that I think has been bumper stickered too often at a presidential level, where you've got one point of view that's like, you know, just isolate and let's not talk about it and the ramifications, and then the other point of view is kind of a neocon view, which is we fund everything. And it, it, you and 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 others seem to have a more textured view of what we need to do.
1: Well, I mean, look—if you even if you look at the situation in Ukraine, yeah—that's not about Ukraine. That's about freedom. It's a fight we have to win. Mm-hmm. And if we win it, you're telling China, Russia, Iran, don't mess with anybody. If we lose it, you're talking about a world war because you got to believe dictators when they say something. President Xi said he was going to take Hong Kong. He did it. Russia said they were gonna go under Ukraine. We've watched it. China said Taiwan's next. We better believe them. Yeah. Russia said Poland and the Baltics are next. If we don't prevent what's happening in Ukraine, there is gonna be a worse war later. And this is about preventing wars. This is about our national security. This is about protecting Americans. And the best way you protect Americans is when you defend freedom-loving countries along with our alliances, and you make sure that your enemies know exactly what you expect. See, of them. this is one
2: of the things that makes me excited about your candidacy because You innately understand this, probably because you spent a lot of time at the UN dealing with all these people, but when she and Putin have an alliance, it's not a show. It's not just to be friends. There's a communication there.
1: They were telling the world, prior to the invasion, they were telling the world, we are unlimited partners, Mm -hmm. and I know from the United Nations, every word means something. Every action means something. So now Russia and China are saying they're unlimited partners and Iran is their junior partner. If you don't see that as the axis of evil, if we don't get our act together and realize what they're trying to do, we will lose everything that we know as freedom-loving countries. So the West has to come together. Even Saudi Arabia gave $400 million to Ukraine. (laughs) They see it. Right. We have to start looking at these countries and aligning with them and saying, "Okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? Let's do this and be strategic. And I wish Biden wasn't so slow to the take. It's incredible. I
3: I, I think that is a significant point is I don't even think we'd be having this conflict right now. If, if Joe Biden were not in office. I You're exactly I think they've exactly shown right. such weakness on the world stage, and it's been seen as an opportunity by countries that want to harm us.
1: But think, it started with Obama.
3: In
0: Crimea. The whole invasion
1: yeah. with Crimea, that's where it started, and that's where Putin thought, I think I can do this. And then you go fast forward to Biden, and... Look, as the wife of someone who deployed in Afghanistan, the idea that we left Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night without telling our allies who stood shoulder to shoulder with us for decades because we asked them to be there. Think about how our friends felt. More importantly, think about the green light you just gave every enemy. It was the worst thing. And now, I never thought in my lifetime that the American people would look to the sky and see a Chinese spy balloon. Incredible. It is a national embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And we are sitting like just an open field for anybody to shoot at us if they want to. We've got to get our act together. Yeah, totally. We look so distracted. And when America's distracted, the world is less safe.
2: I totally agree. Uh, one more foreign policy question for you, because there was news this week about uranium enrichment in Iran and that they are now pretty darn close to having weapons grade uranium. What do we do? I mean this is this is now this dates back prior to your tenure with the Obama administration and that just ridiculous deal that they did with Iran But now, obviously, it's just like, Katie, bar the door. I mean, mean,
1: quit sitting around. They need to be in a room with Israel, who's already looking to do something, but also with the Arab countries. mm -hmm. The Arab countries don't want Iran to get a bomb. The one thing you do is you get together and say, what's our strategy? What do we know? Pull the intelligence together of all of us. Let's look at what they've got. We cannot let them get a bomb. This is a terrorist organization that says death to America. And I mean, if ever there was a time you need to get a strategy and alliance together, it's now. Don't wait for them to do something, do it now. That's what Biden and Obama both did, they reacted. But they didn't get in front of a situation. You don't and think the, the pallets of th- cash
2: did the, did the trick? <laughs> you
1: know, it's funny. I, I used to say that we sent a plane full of money, and they fact-checked me and said I was wrong because it was planes full of money. <laughs> Amazing.
2: Amazing. You can't advertise. It's fact-check false. <laughs> it's, it's just, I love it. That's incredible. Um, all right, let's go. Let's, I, one thing I want to know, I'm not going to do a lot of palace intrigue in the Trump administration, but there is one thing that I've been yeah. dying dying to get a candid answer for because you know I read uh, Pompeo's book and he was on here and he had the whole thing about you know it was sort of it was kind of a soft allegation that you were trying to replace Pence on the ticket. I've heard your answer on that I think everybody's heard your answer on that. What I'm trying to get at is why do you and Pompeo not get along or why does he not get along with like I, I, there's a bunch of things that I inherently understand about different people in that administration and why they don't like each other. This one's hard for me.
1: Okay, so first of all, um, Pompeo wrote about something he heard from someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just start there? Many
0: people are saying. (laughs) 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 He learned from the best.
1: And I'm just gonna leave it at that because I think that says all you need to know. The second thing I'll tell you is, look, I was a damn good UN ambassador Mm -hmm. and every Secretary of State hated it
2: and Mm -hmm. that's I mean there is some inherent tension In having a a UN ambassador. I
1: specifically, when I asked for the job, I said, I don't want to work for anyone else. I want to work directly with you. And President Trump said, got it. And I said, I'm a policy girl. I want to be on the National Security Council, so I'm in the room when decisions are made. He said, done. And I said, I'm not going to be a wallflower or a talking head. I need Mm -hmm. to be able to say what I think. And he said, Nikki, that's exactly why I want you to do this. And he was true to his word from the first day to the last day. When I saw negotiation could happen... I'd pick up the phone and call him and say, I think I can do this. Are you good? He'd say, go with it. He mm. trusted me. Yeah. And he trusted me because he knew if he was doing something right, I rallied. I supported. I made sure America looked strong. And if he was doing something wrong, I called him and said, you can't do this. But instead, you could do X, Y, or Z. And he respected me for that. But the secretaries of state didn't because I went in there and I got my job done and I didn't need them to do it.
2: Yeah. it's Tillerson, too, right? Yep. I mean, yeah. It he had a tough tenure, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to bash Rex. I think he's had enough. <laughs> um, all right. So now you're traveling the country, candidate for president of the United States. You're meeting all kinds of new people. How's the experience going so far? It's so
1: great. I yeah? mean, first of all, to have thousands of people show up at the announcement as a Governor, former governor, it was heartwarming to see that people loved and appreciated what I had done and they want to see me go further. Then we went to New Hampshire and Iowa. It was standing room only, hundreds of people showed up, overflow rooms. It was great. I mean, the momentum is there, the strength is there, the feeling I got, because the three states are very different. But the feeling overwhelmingly is, they want a better option than Biden and Trump. Mm-hmm. They want something different. They do like the generational change. They do want a new direction. And they want someone tough that's gonna go in there and get it done. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our goal is to keep this momentum going. I'll be at CPAC tomorrow, I'll be at Club for Growth on Saturday, I'll be in Iowa next week. Yeah, and, you got wow, a schedule. That you is a schedule. You can't outwork me. Yeah. I mean, I because I'm that passionate. Yeah. I'm that passionate about saying that America deserves better, our kids deserve better, and I'm gonna go prove it.
2: Well, and this is one of the things that I think a lot of our listeners maybe don't know about you, is that after you left office, you spent an enormous amount of time traveling the country helping Republican candidates.
1: We were the number one surrogate raising money for candidates. It's
2: wow. 100%, I can say that, it's 100% true, because I worked with your team in a number of these states, and you were incredible. You and your team were amazing. At going in and and campaigning like crazy for candidates all around the country, I imagine that now as you're launching a presidential campaign, gives you a half step ahead of you know where you would be if you just started now, right? Well, I
1: think the half step ahead was I got to be on the ground with people, yeah. I got to hear what they were saying, and I also got to look at the midterms and see what went wrong, right? I mm. mean, you look at it and. And it was pretty clear. I mean, the Democrats outraised the the Republicans again, Mm -hmm. right? The second thing is you saw that we've got to stop this ridiculous thing that you can only vote on Election Day. If a state has a legal requirement that allows two weeks, why aren't we doing what the Democrats are doing and getting every single person's vote in to make sure that that happens? And then finally... In a time where we need to be winning suburban women, independence we need to get conservative Democrats. It's not that they loved Biden, but guess what they saw when they saw the Republican Party? They saw Republicans hitting each other yeah. and the Democrats. Who wanted to be a part of that? Right. It mm. was total chaos. <laughs> yeah. So now's the time where we need to just focus on giving American people the solutions. America's been through a lot. Mm -hmm. And Americans are tired. That was the one takeaway. They're tired of the drama. They're tired of the chaos. And they're tired of everybody jumping on TV, saying something, and not getting in a room and doing it. Mm. We owe it to them to give them something they can feel good about.
2: Well, it's a compelling message, I'll be honest. Um, I got three big questions for you, though. Okay, I'm ready. I mean, these are the ones that everybody pays attention to right so like this so is none all of been, the others this matter. Has all been fun <laughs> so everything i just did didn't matter i'm not saying it doesn't matter i'm saying these ones are super important
1: so they're gonna fast forward <laughs> through the first part and it's really about these all right well you
2: kind of touched on this a little bit i imagine i know where you're going but if you can plan your last meal on earth what would it be
1: mm, good question unlimited french fries (laughs) unlimited chocolate chip cookies (laughs) and all the pink champagne I could drink
2: (laughs) that's so good good a side dessert and champagne I love that I think that's definitely a first going out in style yeah we've had I mean we've done like 180 190 interviews that's unique no
1: pink champagne for anybody else
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I think the pink champagne is that's a Nikki Haley special right there All right, so If you never got into this line of work, and I know you've got a ton of interests, right? I mean, you could tell by your your role as governor, what you did in the UN. I mean, you're not somebody who just sort of like sits on the couch, obviously. Um, But if you never got into this line of work and you'd had just kind of a blue sky to do anything with your life and this wasn't it, what do you think you would do? Be a DJ. Yeah, (laughs) Amazing. Um, It
1: is I love music. And it is. I have always said that when I grow up, I want to be a DJ. I mean, I listen to music all the time. Before I came and saw you guys, I was listening to "Crazy on You" by Heart. Um, prior to announcing for presidency, I was listening to Ozzy Osbourne and Post Malone. I love music, all kinds of music, and that would be my dream job.
2: Well, you know, Michael's a singer, so I mean, I don't know if you'd, I mean, do, do you uh, you want to uh, get some heart. Maybe we could col- stanza maybe, or two. Maybe we could collab. <laughs>
1: I mean, you could be my commercial break. Yeah,
0: you, just, you get on the ones and twos, and I'll do all the vocals. <laughs> this sounds like a deal. We yeah. could
2: figure out how to go on the road. I oh, love
0: They that. love embarrassing me, so yeah. good work, good work. We well, could do it at Iowa. We could do it at the State Fair. We
1: could do it at the State Fair. Yeah. Are you going to the State Fair this year, you think? I guess I'm going to the State Excellent. Fair. nice. Excellent. But you know, I've, no singing for me. I've always said, <laughs> even with karaoke, I've always said, if you see me doing karaoke, take me home. <laughs> take me home. <laughs> Something is very wrong.
2: <laughs> that should be a standard rule from everybody, but it's yeah, not. It's, it's not. <laughs> particularly the variety program. Yeah. All right. So our last question, and this is a little esoteric. You may have heard it before, but our view is that almost every successful person on the planet is motivated by one of two things the Mm -hmm. thrill of victory or the agony of defeat and it's not that anyone enjoys defeat or anybody doesn't like winning it's what motivates you right and you can think about this in terms of like michael jordan is the typical agony of defeat person like he doesn't even really like winning right i mean it takes like five seconds of his day to appreciate it and then he goes back to whatever slight he had in his past that sort of motivates him to keep going Thrill of victory person is always the sort of sunny optimist charging up the hill. We can get the next accomplishment, and they're just sort of self-motivated with that. On that sort of spectrum, where do you think you find yourself?
1: Agony of defeat. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> hands down. I don't lose. Yeah. I've never lost, and I don't think I'd be good at it. I. It is absolutely making sure if you throw your hat in something, you do it to win. There is no other option.
2: I, you. I could have guessed this. I yes, could have guessed yes. Outstanding answer. I'm
1: pretty much an open book on that. Yeah, that yeah, one, know, it, it seemed... It you seemed. look at my career, I've been scrappy all my life. It's all about agony of defeat. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's, it's like what Chris Christie said. Remember he came on the show and he's like, you know, I mean, the events are great and meeting the people is great, but ultimately to run for president... You know, when you're in a hotel in Des Moines and it's 5 a.m. and you got to get out of the rack, like you got to be
2: motivated.
1: (laughs) You You know, you got to
0: be
2: motivated. You got to find something to do. Well, I have no question about your motivation. There's uh, that's that's unquestioned. I got a curveball question. Sure, we've never asked anybody this. We've had a lot of talk about animal fighting on this particular program.
0: We're more of an animal fighting podcast than a political podcast at this point. Almost more now.
1: Like cockfighting?
2: Well, not necessarily like cockfighting. Sure, I mean, that's included. But this all started years ago when Smug indicated to us that he thought he could take down a full-grown horse.
3: There was was a study, or not a study, it was a poll done. Uh, globally of what's the largest animal you could probably beat in a fight yeah and the British famously I think the largest they thought they could do is like a pigeon yeah like a rat (laughs) did not have much confidence
2: yeah no wonder they lost their empire yeah (laughs) so so this is like an ongoing discussion and you know not every guest we think has a sense of humor to deal with this but I feel like you do what kind of animal do you think
1: you could take down a big animal? Like, what animal do you think you could take? Yeah,
2: lar- largest animal you think you could I take I think down. I could
1: take on the biggest elephant I've ever seen. Yes. Wow.
2: Amazing. Wow. Yes, and it's strategy. I mean, do you just like hop on the elephant and take it down? Or you like grab a hoof? Is it are they hoofs? <laughs> they're,
0: no. they're feet. They're feet. They're feet. They're not hoofs. No, they're, they're feet. I, I mean, think you can scare one though, right? Maybe in the. Oh, they scare They can
1: be aggressive yeah. though. Yeah. Like, elephants are tough and strong and aggressive. But if you show toughness with toughness, you can get them to cower.
0: Wow. <laughs> I love it. I great love answer. It. It it great like, answer. It sounds like she like knows this from experience. Yeah. <laughs> She's got like ivory tusks all over her.
1: No
2: comment.
0: <laughs>
2: I love it. Nikki Haley, where can our listeners find you and your campaign if they want to help out, volunteer, be a part of
1: it? I mean, look, the first thing I'll say is... Um, there are a lot of people who sit there and complain about where we are and what we're doing and i'm going to tell you what my parents always said which is don't complain about it do something about it but they all want to talk about what their options are going to be in the general election and what i'm going to tell you is don't complain in the general election if you don't play in this primary Mm -hmm. this is the chance to actually do something real this is the chance to actually do something good we've got momentum on our side i'm gonna win this and if you get on early, you're gonna look like a star, and if you get on late, we're gonna love you anyway. But everybody needs to go to NikkiHaley.com, join our movement, and you can see that, I mean, truly, America's best days are ahead of us. I have faith, I know we're gonna do this.
2: This has been a blast, thank you so much for so coming much in here. Thank we're you. gonna see you out in the field, too. We're gonna come hang out with your team, we're gonna do more of this, so. I mean,
1: Smug, bring your horse, you can yeah. sing, like, a yeah, yeah, karaoke, yeah. like. Yeah.
2: And everybody know. was on their best behavior here for you. Too. We really <laughs> tried. I gotta tell you, it's not always this good.
1: I appreciate that,
2: <laughs> Nikki Haley, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Thanks so much.
4: She did not disappoint.
2: No, no, nope. She came in totally ready for this. Uh, she's obviously listened to the program before, and we know we've got. She's got a lot of staffers there that are good friends of the program and have been for years. Uh, look, she's a tough out, man. I know there's a lot of people who think that they can quickly categorize all of these candidates into one lane or another and sort of either account or discount their prospects in winning something i don't know the longer you give people like that a microphone and, and a tougher look i think this there's more texture that's coming to this race don't you guys
3: yeah and also i have to give so much credit because she announced she's running mm-hmm. like
2: yeah everyone who's not in
3: yet Just get in already. (laughs) You know, like, what are you folks waiting for? You know, a lot of of, of kudos to her for having the courage. Because, like, the thing is, once you announce, you know there's going to be, like, shots fired. Everyone's going to be gunning for you. You know, that's when you're actually in the ring. You're in the arena. You're fighting. And meanwhile, like, you know, from everything we're being told is that this is going to be a massive field. There's so many people weighing whether they're going to run. Get in the ring. Yeah. Get in the ring and fight. She did it
2: kudos to her I know and she's ready to fight too I think she's actually probably at her best when she's in the fight and she's clearly in the fight now so we'll keep a close eye on her and we'll welcome more here as the days go by
3: so uh, absolute banger of an episode if I may say so myself gentlemen thank you so much to Nikki Haley for being the first presidential candidate to visit for our series and thank you to our listeners so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.